still camped out in chapter 1. This is our seventh session, and we will still not get out of chapter 1. Um, I think chapters 2 and 3 are going to move a little faster, but that's only what I think. We'll see what the Lord does. Um, so far, what we've been doing in chapter 1, we've been seeing that God is in control. So we've been seeing his sovereignty as it's laid out here so clearly. And then we spent, the uh, after the introduction, we spent the next session seeing, uh, according to in our outline, if you still want an outline, come see me, I'll get one to you. Uh, letter A, God speaks. And then in letter B, we saw that God acts. C, we looked at God's enemies, and there we found that we can identify as the enemy. Verse 7, we saw the reality of God's people in the midst, the reality that God has for his people in the midst of all of this blackness. And today, we want to see that God brings destruction to Nineveh in celebration to his people in verses 9 to 15, though we will only be looking at 9 to 12 this morning. So let's, uh, let's read those verses, uh, 9 to 12, and then we'll pray. And jump into this. Verse 9 of chapter 1. Whatever you devise against the Lord, he will make a complete end of it. Distress will not rise up twice. Like tangled thorns and like those who are drunken with their drink, they are consumed as stubble completely withered. From you has gone forth one who plotted evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord. Though they are, and this Nineveh, at full strength, and likewise many, even so, they will be cut off and pass away. And we'll stop there. So let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for your, you who alone are sovereign. We thank you for your patience, your mercy, your grace, for your enabling all found in Christ. We ask for your wisdom as we look at your word now to hear you, to respond to you by your wisdom, your enabling, your life. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a quick question. Now, I once was given the opportunity to speak at a homeless shelter for Christmas. And I asked a rhetorical question, and somebody answered it. My question was, God helps those, oh, my statement was, God helps those that help themselves. And one of the gentlemen there yelled out, Amen! And I felt, oh my goodness. Now I'm going to spend the next 25 to 30 minutes explaining to the whole room how this man is wrong. I say that because I'm about to ask you a question. Do not answer this question. <laughs> Least, do not answer it out loud. But do consider it. A simple question, do you believe that you must do your best and let God do the rest? If so, you stand opposed to God. You have, and I can identify with this, you have an arrogant heart and you are proud. Because your thinking goes diametrically opposed to Matthew 6.33, Romans 7.18, Philippians 1.21 and 4.13, Hebrews 12.2, and many other passages, some which we will look at today. 
Now, there is work that should be done or should be seen in our life, but that work is the result of the life in us, and it is not the cause of the life in us. And that life is only known by faith in Christ. James chapter 2, specifically verse 18. We started last week by looking at Jeremiah 17, verse 9, and I think that would be a, a profitable place to once again visit. And looking at that verse again, we'll see how it played out in the verses that we look at now. So on the screen here, I'm not going to ask you to turn to it, but Jeremiah 17, verse 9, remember we looked at this, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, Scripture gives the answer to that question in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God, and in the context of the book of Hebrews, because of what we read in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, I believe the Word of God is Jesus Christ Himself. And so there we find, in answering the question from Jeremiah, who can understand the heart of man, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Do you realize that God knows you better than you know yourself? Because his knowledge of you pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and, mar and marrow, and able to judge in thoughts and tensions, the thoughts and intentions of your heart. See, I don't believe we're capable of that. We get a Maybe a good understanding, an inkling, but to really, and it's interesting, for me, as I go on in life and I look back, I realize, nope, I got it wrong there. Nope, I had it wrong there. But he knows us. And with this understanding, do you realize that you must deal with him? Verse 13 in Hebrews him with whom you have to do, the one who knows you. And who is he? Well, Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, For in him, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity, God. So in Christ, for in Christ, all of God is found within a body. And in him, in Christ, in whom you find all of God, you have been made complete. And he, Christ, in whom you find all of God, is the head of all rule and authority. God shows his sovereignty to us in the person of Christ. He does not hide. He shows himself for all that he is. We often want to see ourselves when studying the prophets. I know I do, okay? So I'm not, this is not, this is, you know, the, the, the four fingers coming back, okay? I understand that. Do, we so often want to see ourselves when, when we read prophets like, like, uh, like Nahum. We often want to see ourselves as being Israel. That's the second part of verse 12. We always want to see ourselves. We identify with Israel. But so often in life, we need to see ourselves as being Nineveh. 
Nineveh, remember, 120 to 150 years before this, they had repented. And God relented. But we've seen that past blessing does not guarantee present peace. So what do we do? Folks, there's some seats up front here if you're brave enough to walk through everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So what do we do? Anderson says this, So Nahum warns the Ninevites before that time that no amount of human ingenuity, listen to this, no amount of human ingenuity will be an adequate barrier against God's power. Their hearts planned many schemes to thwart the will of God, but he knows the human heart, and we are no match for him. My brother will appreciate this story because it's a very fond memory of his. When we were in high school, there was an activity. I think I've told you this story before, so I'll give you the quick version. I was in the band, and we had a concert at school, and my dad had given me a truck. I had my own vehicle, but dad had the nicer car. It was a lot more peppy, and it was fun to drive. So I went to dad, and I asked him if it would be okay if I just took his car up to the high school for the evening. He said, sure, son. He gave me the keys, and I took off. After the concert was over with, a bunch of us got together. It was three different cars. We were all going to go to, it wasn't Dairy Queen, but it was like Dairy Queen. We were going to go there. I, and I jumped in the car, and I put it in first, and I laid rubber, and I let it fly. It was so much fun. My friends were just laughing. The guys in the other car were laughing. Got up to the first. I couldn't wait to get to the next red light because that mean I had to come to a complete stop. So I could really let it rip. And I did this. We got out onto the bypass four lane, did the same thing, pulled up to another light, pulled emergency brake. We jumped out of the car, ran around it a few times, jumped back in the car, took off again. I didn't know that my dad and my brother were three cars behind me. (laughs) Pulled into Dairy Queen, and I'm looking at all my friends in the other cars, and they're laughing, and I saw every one of their faces in the other two cars. They just did this. (laughs) I was wondering, what's going on? And then the door opened, and I turned my head just this far, and there's my dad's hand, and I recognized that hand. (laughs) I, I knew that hand well. And he said to me, let's trade. (laughs) I gave him his keys. He gave me mine. By the time I got out of the car, all my friends in the other two cars were gone. (laughs) And the one I had with me had no choice, had to stay with me. Dad knew my heart, though I thought I was doing a good job of hiding it. And though I had convinced myself that this was okay. But I came to the sudden realization that he knew my heart. And I had to deal with him. It was a long drive home for me. (laughs) God knows your heart. In Christ, he knows your heart, and you must deal with him. In Christ. God shows that he knows Nineveh's heart 
and how he speaks to them in verses 9 to 12. He is speaking, remember, to his enemy. We've looked at that. And we've seen how we can identify as being the enemy of God. And he shows in verse 9 that he knows God's plans. I'm sorry, he knows his enemy's plans. Whatever you devise, this is, this is one of the staggering verses. I think this is one of the main verses that just jump out to me in this, in this book. Whatever you devise against the Lord, he will make it a complete end of it. No, he will make a complete end of it. So in other words, you start it, I'll finish it. Distress will not rise up twice. God knows his enemy's plans. In speaking to Israel, in Isaiah 29, in verse 15, we read this, Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord, and whose deeds are done in a dark place. Remember how we talked about that darkness last week? And they say, who sees us? Who knows us? You know, back to the illustration. I'm comfortable driving the way I did because I was confident that my dad did not see. You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would say to its maker, He did not make me. Or what is formed say to him who formed it? He has no understanding. Really? But he knows your heart. In verse 9, we find the word devise. Whatever you devise against the Lord. Whatever it means to weave or to fabricate. Purposefully done. It's a, it's a plot contrived, usually in a malicious way with intent. Look at that, with intent to do harm. What they planned is actually with the intent to harm the Lord. Look at verse 11. From you has gone forth one who plotted evil against the Lord. And you know, we look at Nineveh, bunch of dummies. But remember, we need to identify with Nineveh. This is what goes on in, in, in our heart when we were living in the flesh. We are against God. Because it comes, this is against the Lord because it comes from that dark place that we talked about last week. Now let me ask you a question. This one I do want you to answer. Why would anyone want to do harm to the Lord? And let me be more specific. Why would any Christian want to do harm to the Lord? Yes. Because we don't get our way. I think it's similar to why Satan chose to do harm to the Lord. Because even though he was created to do evil things, this is we're created to do image of God. Satan wanted glory. But in order to have glory, you want to take glory from everything else. And obviously you can't take God's glory, but there's almost that intent. 
like Satan was writing his gospel. Okay. So wanting the, the desire to want to take God's place. Okay. Anybody else? Why would we as believers want to do harm to the Lord? I'll ask another question. What's, let's think of it this way. What's at the root of us doing, of one person doing harm to another person? What's at the root of that? You know, why? Why do we, you know, those moments when you just, uh, why? Why do we want to do harm? Okay, pride. Okay, go with that a little bit more. Okay, we want to carry out justice on our own, and justice specifically for who? Me. <laughs> could it be, could it possibly be, possibly be that the root of all of this is for us simply to have our way, that we may be, what you're saying, that we may be God of our own life. I was thinking this through, and I thought about Genesis 9. This is after the flood, and so here are the ones who God has preserved. Those who have made it through the flood, he saved them. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply part of the earth. (laughs) Fill the earth. But we find already in chapter 11, the descendants of these, they have a different idea. In verse 4, they said, come, let us build for ourselves. See the wording here. Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make again for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let us build for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we're going to live the way God would have us live. And again, you know, it's so easy for us to, you know, to look at them and go, oh, idiots. But really, this is, this is the heart of man in the flesh. This is what it is to live fallen from the image of God. But to strive and to grapple, what? For the purpose of being my own God. And then again in verse 9, he goes on to say this, and, but he will make a complete end of it. Boy, I can hear my dad right now. You start it, I'll end it. And he did. Do we understand that the victory is already the Lord's? Proverbs 21 verse 30, there is no wisdom and no understanding. Look, there is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. The futility of living opposed to Him. 1 Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. Remember verse 8, 
But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight, Nineveh's sight, and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Verse 12, Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength, and likewise many, even so, they will be cut off and pass away. In verse 14, The Lord has issued a command concerning you. Your name will no longer be perpetuated. I will cut off idol and image from the house of, our, of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. And we're going to look at that verse more when we get to it, but that contempt, it means you are insignificant. When my dad's hand appeared in that car, and he wanted his keys... I can tell you to this day, I can remember this. I can feel this. I instantly had fear overwhelm me. Despite my best plans, I knew that I was exposed. My heart was exposed, and it was over. It was a very interesting conversation. It was one where I did all the talking. And he just looked at me. I didn't have to say a word. Or he didn't have to say a word. Remember, Nineveh had repented 120 to 150 years before this. But now they've gone their own way. They live their own way against the Lord only to find out that their activity, their success was all futile. Are you busy doing nothing? God will not be mocked. How many years have you engaged in futility? And I'm not just talking about, you know, going to the bars or sleeping around or, you know, the things that jump to our mind. I'm talking about going to church, dressing the part and carrying your Bible, reading, enough to where, reading it enough to where it's worn out, but it's all futile because it's all with the dependency of yourself doing my best and letting him take care of the rest. God is not mocked. In Galatians 6, within that, the context of chapter 6 in Galatians, he's talking about there us serving one another. And this is what he says in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to believers, to Christians. So with that, he goes on in verse 10 in our text, and he presents two similes. It's interesting, the, the, the two similes, the way they actually kind of go together, though they actually seem like they're completely different. But it says, like tangled thorns 
And like those who are drunken with their drink, they are consumed as stubble completely withered. So you have two, it's, it's interesting two things here. You know, one is he's talking about this dryness, and then he's talking about this liquid, the, 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 the alcohol. And we think, okay, well, that's two different things. No, it's really interesting. Though they are drenched in drunkenness, they will be consumed for what they are, which is really dry. I appreciate the way the Amplified Bible puts it. It reads like this, For the Ninevites are as bundles of thorn branches for fuel. And even while drowned in their drunken carousing, they shall be consumed like stubble fully dry in the day of the Lord's wrath. So the two similes, the first one, like tangled thorns as stubble completely withered. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 10. Here, the, the problem of mankind is, is addressed. It's shown here as being prideful, or specifically in this text, as being arrogant. So beginning in chapter 10 of Isaiah, beginning in verse 12, we'll read through 17. So verse 12. So it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish, I, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria, so this is to Nineveh, and the pomp of his haughtiness. For he has said, by the power of my hand and by my wisdom I did this, for I have understanding. And I removed the boundaries of the people and plundered their treasuries. And like a mighty man, I brought down their inhabitants and my hand reached to the riches of the peoples like a nest. And as one gathers gathers abounded eggs, I gathered all the earth. And there was not one that flapped its wing or opened its beak or chirped. As the axe is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is, the, who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors, and under his glory a fire will be kindled like a burning flame. And the light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. So looking at 12 and 17, how it goes together, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria at the end of verse 12, and then verse 17, and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. So addressing Nineveh, addressing Assyria, the reason for this consuming is because of the arrogant heart, the haughtiness, the pomp and haughtiness. Hey, Kelly? Yep. Can you go back to that previous slide for a second? 
Sure. I think I can. Keep going. Uh, yeah, it was the one. Yeah, that. Sorry, it was it was um, the amplified version. Okay. Let's find it. I can do it like this. Sorry. No, it's fine. We go over time. It's your fault. That's right. <laughs> <coughs> Let me. Yeah, it works great unless you the try to use it. Strikes me, and it strikes me with what you just read is um, that in 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 the verse that the that the amplified you had in the amplified, you know, it says, yeah, there it is. For the Ninevites are bundled with thorns, but I think we have to be careful. You've said it a couple times, but we keep. And even with the, what you just read in, in Isaiah, talking about the the king, I gotta put my name there. Yeah, I, we gotta. It's so easy to to miss this. As yeah, he's talking about Nineveh. He's talking about the king of Assyria. He's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, I don't catch the fact that you know, Jeff is as a bundle of thorns. Yeah. And you know, and and he's drunk on his own. You know, stupidity, basically. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, those things that we, that we just we don't we don't personalize it because it's talking about somebody else. Thankfully, it's talking about somebody else. So I don't, yeah. I don't really have to internalize it. You've said it, but it's like, can we say it enough? Yeah, I appreciate you amplifying it. You know, because that's you know, I told you that with so many Sunday school teachers now for this class. You better be at least you you better at least have an outline ready. You know, because I had ten months to look at this. But that was 10 months of stewing in this. And it's been really good for me. You know, because it's so easy. It's just so easy for me to, uh, to, to, to do that. I want to identify with Israel. You know, in, 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 in the book of Nahum, I want to identify as Israel. And, and, the, and, you know, we can. But we need to identify as Nineveh. And if we don't see ourselves for who we are, who God shows us to be, then we really don't. We really miss out on the mercy and the grace that is ours today. Because we minimize it. Yes, we we need to see that darkness that we talked about last. We don't want to go there. It seems like that's the last thing we should do. But we find, remember what we saw at the end of verse 8 last week is God goes there. He goes into that darkness. And he knows it. And he defeated it. But do we understand that that's me? Yes. As you have received, so walk. You know, and then Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And that word walk means to be occupied with. You know, are we occupied with Jesus in our marriage, in our work? You know, with the neighbor that we have conflict with? 
Well, thanks, Jeff. Now I've got to figure out where I was. I, I know. So we see that this, this arrogant, this haughtiness is at the heart of God dealing with, this, this, with Nineveh like he does. And I appreciate the Bible knowledge commentary pointing out this, that in 701 B.C., They remind us that according to Isaiah 37, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers who were surrounding Jerusalem were killed. Okay, 185,000 who were surrounding Jerusalem were killed. And then we know... Uh, It was the year 609 B.C. that the Assyrian Empire (laughs) fell in one night to Babylon. And then the Bible commentary went on to say this, the fall of the Assyrian Empire is a prototype of the fall of all who oppose God and His plans for His covenant people. This is, this is applicable for us. So we've seen the first simile, like tangled thorns. And the second one is, like those who are drunken with their drink, they are consumed. Well, you know, this is an incredible picture for us. And if you've never seen this for yourself, I encourage you to go to Fredericksburg on a weekend. You know, it's not what it used to be. Those of you who live there, you know what I'm talking about. In Proverbs, let's go to, uh, why don't you go to Proverbs 23? Go to Proverbs 20. And then we're going to go to chapter 23. It's amazing how uncomfortable we get with these verses. And as we read through them, right away we go through the arguments in our head that start with yes, but. Okay? So look, don't go there. I'm going to read these verses, but don't go. Don't go there. Don't go yes, but. Okay? But wait until we get to the end to see what it is that we need to learn. Don't get so defensive here. Here we go. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mockery, strong drink a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. I think we're all pretty much okay with that. Now let's go to chapter 23. Remember, the, the Scripture is painting a picture for us. When we're talking about alcohol and the abuse of alcohol, and I think we fool ourselves so much with the yes but arguments. In chapter 23 and verse 20, it says this, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Verse 29, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentiousness? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? 
In other words, how'd that happen? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will utter perverse things, and you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on top of a mast. In other words, you'll be unsteady and open to disaster. They struck me, but I did not become ill. How'd that happen? They beat me, but I did not know it. How did that happen? When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. And J. Vernon McGee, he gives his comment to this, and I love it. You know, he's always bringing the cookies down to the bottom shelf and just making it very simple to us. Nineveh had reached the place where they could make no decision. And I thought, man, have I been shown this. Growing up in South Louisiana, when I was taking my driver's ed course, so that was in 1980, wow. I remember that one of our instructors got up and he gave us the statistics for the area that we were growing up in, that Paula and I grew up in. And I've shared this with people uh, in other places, and I have offended people when I share these statistics. I'll explain that a little bit, but here are the statistics that was given to us in 1980. That the area that Paula and I grew up in was at that point second in the world in beer consumption. In the world. I was telling this one time at one of the other torchbearer centers and a couple of guys from Milwaukee got very offended. (laughs) And then also we were taught that the alcohol rate in our beer had the highest rate of any other place in the country. That offended the guys from Milwaukee as well. And that was the reason why the insurance rates for teenage boys was double what it was anywhere else, the highest in the country. It was a regular, and when I say regular, I don't mean happened a lot. I mean regular occurrence for me to go out and smell alcohol. A few years back when we went home to visit, Paul uh, took us to a football game there at the local university. And as we're walking into the stadium, I could smell it. And I leaned over to my daughters and I said, do you smell that? And they said, yeah. I said, that's my childhood. <laughs> and both of them went, yuck. <laughs> the other day, I, um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was yesterday. I saw on television that they were covering Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is going on right now. And if you don't know what the history of Mardi Gras is, basically one of the, a priest came up with this idea, you know, Lent's coming, everybody's going to have to give up something. Let's let them just have as much fun as they can before they have to give up everything. And so South Louisiana has taken that to heart. And people travel. I mean, people just travel to South Louisiana. They want to get to New Orleans. You know, those of us who grew up in Louisiana, we will not touch New Orleans at Mardi Gras. 
I've had friends go there and come back petrified. We celebrate Mardi Gras where we grew up. It's bad enough there. It's so bad that my dad has said this. <laughs> he says, all that Lent is for the people of this area is simply giving up Mardi Gras. My childhood was one where I saw not just Mardi Gras at Mardi Gras, but I saw it throughout the year. I saw people that I grew up with, people I knew, I went to school with, people I dated. I saw people throughout the year, people who were otherwise capable of thinking, suddenly behave as though they were idiots incapable of making rash decisions. And I, I could tell you some things, and he was just like, what? Yeah. This is what this, this passage is describing. These are those who are opposing the Lord. Remember, they are those who, according to Jonah chapter 3, have repented. but they've become addicted to themselves. And they're incapable of making rash decisions. 1 Samuel 2 verse 9 says this, He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked, one, wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Proverbs 33, verses 16 to 17. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Without the Lord's favor, that which we're depending on is incapable of providing protection. You see, so some of us sit here and we go, well, I don't have a problem with alcohol. But what are you drunk on? I mean, so many of us have bought into the lie that if I get a college education, life will be okay. We don't have time to look at it, but I have the statistics to show that's baloney. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't get a college education if that's what the Lord has for you. But to put our hope in that, I mean, the, the, you know, the biggest problem, you know, the, the, the biggest obstacle that we have seen at His Hill for students attending His Hill, because there's a lot of kids that want to go that don't get to. But the biggest obstacle that we have seen has not been finances, but has been their parents. Because it's a waste of time. Because you get nothing out of it. There's no degree. It's just a lot, of, a lot of money just thrown away. But you know what? I had a student come to me one time, an alumni, come up to me, and she was in university now that she had left his hill, and she says, Kelly, listen, I want you to understand something. I want you and the staff to hear this. So she wanted me to go back and tell the staff this. I'm in university now, and all the garbage is being bombarded on me every day. 
but I want you to understand something. I'm okay. My Christian friends in class are freaking out, but I'm okay because I know what is true. And I am solely dependent upon Him. What are we drunk on? What are we depending upon ourselves for? Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who, I am the vine, you are the branches. I'm the life-giving source. I'm the enablement. He who abides, that means remains. He who stays there. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please? Beginning in verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1.26, I'm just going to get started. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, according to human standards, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are. Verse 29, so that no man may boast before God. I'm doing my best. You do the rest. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Where do we go for our wisdom? And righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now to be clear, I am not against college education. I have one. I have two degrees. But I have learned that my hope, my security is not in that. Listen to some other passages. Now I'll tell you what, let's go back to our main text and we'll finish with this. Because it ends here today with an explanation of what being consumed with myself, being drunk on myself, brings us to. Verse 11. From you has gone forth one who plotted evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength, and likewise many, even so, they will be cut off and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, oh, I'm sorry, we'll stop there. They will pass away. You know, we don't have time, but I wanted us to go to Galatians 2. See the context of the verse that we like so much, Galatians 2.20. 
And there, what Paul is dealing with is the haughtiness, the arrogance of these believing Christians. And how they want everybody else to act like them, according to their convictions. They were... There were Jewish Christians there who, were, who had decided they were going to live and depend upon the old covenant law, and they were putting it on everybody else. And within that context, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. See, it's not dependent upon me anymore. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And listen to this, the life which I now live in the flesh, dealing with my identity with Nineveh, I live by, what's the word? Somebody said it, faith. In the one who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And then just for an exercise today, if you go on and you read chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, count how many times faith comes up. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Verse 9 says, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. According to Hebrews chapter 11, that faith is faith in Christ. According to the passage there in Galatians 2.20 all the way to 3.9, that faith is faith in Christ. <coughs> are we taken with Jesus or taken with ourself? And I'm asking that question to a room of believers. Are we taken with Jesus? are drunk on ourself. For time's sake, I'll just pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and for your, your, your firm reminder, your insistence on your image for us by your life in us as found in Christ. And so, Lord, we ask for your wisdom this morning to be taken with Jesus and not drunk on ourselves. For your glory. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for listening.